to be home. We missed you. But I know you were well fed, well taken care of. Um, Pastor Hank and Linda, and are you still in a change mode? We're in a change mode. So, all right. We're going to get back on the horse today of relationships. And a couple of weeks ago, we introduced our new series on the relational intelligence, the relationship quotient. How are we doing? How are we doing with relationship? You know, relationship, as we know, is like, it really is the main thing of our life. No one is really alone. They can feel alone. They can look alone, but... God has created us to be relational and to have relationships. So this week, we're going to talk about maybe one of the obstacles of why we don't sometimes do relationships well. See, it's one thing to talk about relationships. We all do relationships, whether it's work or whether it's family or, you know, whether it's socially in our, in our town or, you know, the marketplace, whatever it is, we're always engaging and rubbing shoulders with people in relationship. But doing it well is something else. And doing it the way Jesus did it. That's the thing. Why did God even create us? He created us because he loves relationship. And he wanted to have relationship with mankind, and he invites mankind to have relationship with him and to also have relationship with one another. So it was a couple of weeks ago when we introduced this, we asked you this question, how important are relationships to your enjoyment of life? You remember that question? Have you thought about it a couple of weeks? Think about how important are relationships and if, if nothing else, I think we have come to appreciate if COVID and pandemic and shelter in place and lockdowns and, you know, government imposition, other people imposing things on us, if we've never learned anything except this, we learned that, you know what, we really love relationships when it's somebody starts to take it away from us or put barriers or obstacles to keep us isolated and away from our relationships, then we realize, you know what, this is very vital, very important, because isolation is dangerous to our, as we've discovered, to mental health and spiritual health and the vitality of the church and the body of Christ and it's all about that relationship. So, again, a definition that you're going to have on the slide, relational intelligence. What is it? It's the ability to understand, to develop, and to manage relationships well. And that's why even in Jesus answering the question that was asked of him, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And of all things, it really boiled down to relationship, didn't it? 
This is the most important thing that we can pay attention to is relationships. When he said in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Remember that? Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So let's ask that question. Why? Why would Jesus say loving your neighbor is equally important as loving God? Well, I simply just look at the life of Jesus. You know, we've asked, what would Jesus do? Jesus had relationships, and he did them well, didn't he? And what, when, you, when you have a friend, don't you want to love what he loves? You know, don't you, don't you really want to love what he loves? And people matter most to God. Sometimes you say, what matters most to God? What really matters most to God? And what matters most to God should matter most to me. And that is loving people and doing relationships and doing it well. Um, it's kind of interesting in the, the, the health and the well-being of people that really have relationship. You know, even Ecclesiastes says two are better than one, right? And a, and a three-strand cord cannot be broken. No one should walk alone. No one should be alone. Even in the beginning, I know we apply that to a, to a marriage situation of an Adam and Eve or, you know, a husband and wife. But God, when he saw Adam alone, what did he say? It is not good. It's just not good that we're alone. So God really is into the relationship business. And... Uh, there's a story here, it's called The Mystery of the Rosatan People. The Rosatan People, R-O-S-E-T-A-N People. In Rosetto, Pennsylvania, it was a starkly healthier place to live. And no one could guess why. Why was this place such a healthy place to live? in this remote place in Pennsylvania. It seemed like a virtual fountain of youth with a heart attack mortality rate, roughly half the rate of every surrounding community. Same water, same neighborhood, same occupational mix, same income level ranges, same races. So what? was the difference and why? Well, you had to ask the Rosatons for the answer. And the next question you asked should be, who are the Rosatons? They are inhabitants of Rosetto, Pennsylvania, a pretty but remarkably modest village nestled in eastern Pennsylvania. Does anybody know where this is, by the way? I'm not taking that for granted. We've never heard of it, huh? Back in 1962, in a scene right out of, the move, out of a movie, 
outbreak, investigators descended on Rosetto with the full equipment of scientific investigators. With the blessings of the federal and state governments, Rosetto was starkly healthier place to live and no one could guess why. Maybe they thought they were from another planet or something, huh? You get that kind of government attention. It was up to these researchers to figure out why and they stayed for several years trying to figure this out. Pouring over death certificates from 1955 to 1965, the investigators concluded that the reason was usually clear for science. Just to make sure, the Rosatons were compared with neighboring communities, including aptly named Nazareth and Bangor towns. The confirmations just kept on showing up in everything the researchers did. And the conclusion have had tremendous implications since they were confirmed just in 1992. What made Rosatons die less from heart disease than identical towns elsewhere? Here's the answer. Family ties. Another observation they had traditional and cohesive family and community relationships. It turns out that Rosetta was people, peopled by strongly knit Italian, Jim, Italian American families who did everything right and lived right and consequently lived longer. All because of their community, their relationships, their connections. In short, Rosatons were nourished. They were nourished by people. In all ways, this happy result was exactly the opposite expectation of well-proven health laws. The Rosatons broke the following long life rules and did so with a noticeable relish. And they lived to tell the tale. They smoked old style Italian stogie cigars. <laughs> Malodorous and remarkably pungent little nips of a cigar guaranteed to give them a nicotine fix of unbelievably strong potency. These were not filtered or adulterated <laughs> in any way. This is a longer article. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I mean, they go into this whole thing of the bottom line was it wasn't because of what they didn't do or what they did do. They simply existed with good relationships. They did well. And because they did relationships well, they lived well. And that is really the recipe that God has for us to do relationships. And yet, think about that as the church. The church, when Jesus talked about, I, I kind of wish Jesus would have almost put the Great Commission like this. We know in Matthew, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
teach him to obey. But what he really meant was, yes, I'm going to tell you what he meant. What he really meant was, go out there and create relationships. Because really, that opens the door for everything else. You have relationship. You have their ear. You have their heart. You win their heart. And then they really want to hear what you have to say. And they're ready to receive what you have. So, and that's really what Jesus was getting at when he talked about. And Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he? How many times would he engage with people? And then he would heal them. Or then he would deliver them. Or then he would exhort them, speak to them. It was amazing. So from this story, I just have a bullet list out of this article. They found in these 10 years they studied that they were healthier, they lived longer, they had peace in their community. In other words, no crime. They took care of their elderly. They had closer relationships. They had less stress. They had, yes, zero crime rate, zero Few applications for social assistance. They were not a welfare state. They took care of it. Sounds like, sounds like another community somewhere. I think in Acts 4, somewhere in the book of Acts, right? Shared all things in common. There was a picture of that relationship. And they had no requests for emergency relief. All because of relationships family ties, a traditional and a cohesive family. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Pastor. I'm, I'm on. Sign me in. I like this. What's our challenge about this? What gets in our way? Why don't we jump in, step in? Why, don't, why do we just lean in and we don't necessarily step in? Go all in. And sometimes, and we're going to talk more about this later, we are going to talk about the fear factor, but that's not this week. But we are going to talk, today's title is about time barriers. Time barriers. Now when I see that, I think, you know what? It's, I'm not sure that's properly titled time barriers. I think it's more best said by saying, it's barriers to time. Because time is not a barrier. Time will not be a barrier. But we do have barriers against our time, our, our management, right? And yet time is something interesting. Time is a constant. Time is an absolute. You know, some people say, oh, I just need to, I need to have more time. You can't have more time. That's not possible. We've all been given, you know, in one hour, there's 3,600 seconds, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours a week. You get 168 hours a week. A week. So really, we, I'm not, we don't make more time. We just manage time. 
how good are we? How good are you at time management? I, uh, I went to a time management seminar. I'm not going to give that to you today. But he talked about there was one-dimensional time, two-dimensional time, three-dimensional management on time. And of course, you, you want to get to the third dimension, the three-dimensional thinking on time, which is this. When you think about your time management, you must first, sometimes we'll say, oh, I, I look at the priority. Look at the priority. But when you look at the priority, something that maybe priority also gets bumped. It just does. Because you're always still stuck by picking the one up on top, right? But I like this one on the third dimension is, is to have a mindset of thinking about what is the most significant? What will bring the most significance to your time? And see, this is the way Jesus would, would think. It really was. He would, he would make decisions on based on significance. Not even necessarily on priority. But what on most significance? So when you think of that, we have to think about significance has to do with how long will it matter? In other words, eternal. That's the true significance. Is to focus on that which is eternal. Something that will matter for a lifetime. So he said this, he said, you want to be a multiplier. A multiplier? A multiplier factors in three things. And if you want to write these down, you can write them down. They won't be on the slide. And I do try to practice this. But it has to do with three words. Urgency, importance, and significance. That's where time management goes. And you think about, again, relationships. Put it in the context of relationships. Relationships that are urgent, that are important, and are the most significant. Would you make time for things like that? Yes, we would. We would. So I'm going to ask you some questions. This is almost like a little workshop on time management and relationships and doing them well. Some questions. I want you to, to yourself, grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. Yes, it's going to be up there. Are you available to family, friends, and neighbors on a scale of 1 to 10? How would you rate yourself your availability to family, friends, and neighbors. I mean, if your time is occupied with other things, you really don't have time for other people. In other words, we love to do this in America. We love to do this. It's kind of the Western way. We even approach people and say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? What's going on? Oh, I'm busy, man. I'm so busy. 
That's our, that's our answer. Pastors love to do that. Pastors really get deep with each other. How you doing, pastor? Oh, we're busy. I'm busy. I mean, busy with what? What are you busy with? Where is your time going? You know, what is it that you were, we're focusing on things that are urgent or important or significant? You know, what things need to become important and significant that are not important and significant? Does that make sense? So, of course, family, friends, and neighbors. How about the second one? Are your relationships based solely on convenience? In other words, if you do have relationships, is it because it's convenient for you? Yes. I have a relationship with our neighbor. But it's all out of convenience. I'm being honest with you. I haven't, I haven't approached him as a significant part of my time. It's convenient because he just sometimes sticks his head over the wall over there. Says, hey, how's it going? We left for a week with the RV and he thought we left without saying goodbye. So he wanted me to know about it yesterday. He said, man, I thought you were gone. I said, no. He said, well, I hope you wouldn't leave without saying goodbye. I said, no, Angel, we won't do that. How about the third one? Are you too busy to do what Jesus said for us to do? On a scale of 1 to 10, what would that answer look like? So we have some lies that we deal with. We have some, we, we might call them reasons, we might call them excuses, but sometimes we will succumb to things like, I mean, I get this all the time as a personal trainer. I used to get it when I worked in the gym and I, I would train people. And you know, you know what the number one, I mean, really the number one reason people don't work out, that what they say, the number one reason they say they don't work out. What is it? Time. I don't have time. And I think we as Christians, we will do the same kind of thing. That's our defense, man. That's our default answer for everything. I am so busy. I am so busy. Do you realize there's actually an article on it, and it's kind of a, an amusing one and a sad one at the same time, but somebody wrote up a, uh, an article about the strategy that the devil has with the church, that the, the best strategy he's ever brought against the church is to get them busy to keep them busy with non-significant things, unimportant things, unprioritized things, and just busyness instead of the essential, right? So how about this lie? Number one, things will settle down someday. Hey, I'll have relationships. I'll, you know, I'll make this happen. I'll make time for this. Someday it's going to, right now it's just a little... Restless, you know, someday it's going to settle down. What I like to call the someday syndrome. We all can succumb to the someday syndrome. Things will settle down. I'll have time after I, 
I get that job. I'll have time after I get that promotion. I'll have time after I'm making that extra level of salary. I'll have time once I get this master's degree. I'll have time then after the doctorate degree. And just on and on it goes. And you're, you know what? We're lying to ourselves. Number two, lie number two. If I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, and you fill in the blank. If I had a little more time, if I had a little more money, if I had more of a desire, you know, in other words, more will be enough. Do you ever say this? I'll do what Jesus said when I have more money, more space in my home, more free time. How about lie number three? Hey, I'm not alone. Everybody lives like this. Everybody lives like this. And I can tell you, you know, how many people are, you know, we're all living like this, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to make this happen. Let me read to you Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're a little short on time today. I'm going to try to wrap this up by, 11, by 11.30. You know this parable that Jesus gave on the Good Samaritan. Verse 25, just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven. Jesus replied, what does Moses teach? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, it states you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and all and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Not who's your daddy. Who's your neighbor? Who is that neighbor? And of course, Jesus gave us a very strong lesson on what the neighbor was. The neighbor is the one who is always presented before you with that need. It's the one that the Lord brings you to. So Jesus replied, listen, and I'll tell you, and he goes into, the, of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan. There was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho. The bandits robbed him all along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. So a Jewish priest walked down the same road, came upon the wounded man, seeing him from a distance. The priest crossed to the other side of the road. And then there was a religious man. He did the same thing. He saw the man in need, and it's, see, it's, it says that they went to the other side. 
Are you guilty of this? I am. I'm guilty of avoidance. We all have that in us that sometimes, you know what? I would normally do it. I would normally do it. But not today. I would normally do it. But not this time. This is really hard. This grates on you. It grates on me. Because it just seems like that the Lord, even though he knows our steps, he knows our schedule, he knows exactly what we're going through, and yet he will put things, he will put our neighbor there to interrupt us. (laughs) To disturb us. And I want to be okay. I want to be justified that I can at least take this time, not do it this time. I'll do it next time. Someday. Someday I'll do it. Or out of convenience, if it's convenient. And man, I'm telling you, when it comes to relationships, it's never going to be convenient. It's just not. It's not made that way. So finally, verse 33, another man, that Samaritan. Oh, that Samaritan. He came upon the bleeding man and he was moved with tender compassion for him. There's the difference. The religious man, the Jewish man, a minister of the gospel had no compassion. And if anything, he went to the other side of the street and did this. I don't see you. I don't, I don't see you. I don't see you. I can't see you. And this man who knew what it was, a Samaritan, of course, they understand what it's like for someone to go to the other side and leave them and ignore them and mistreat them and reject them. And those are the ones that have the most compassion. And maybe we need a little of that. Maybe we need a little rejection in our life. Do we have a little more sympathy, a little more empathy, a little more connection with those? He had compassion. He stooped down. He gave him first aid. He poured oil on his wounds. He disinfected it with wine. He bandaged them to stop the bleeding. He lifted him up. He placed him on his own donkey and brought him into the end. He took him from the donkey, carried him to the room for the night. Next morning, he took his own money from his wallet, gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. And here's the real kicker, because many of us would stop right there. There you go. I did it. I did it. I gave him my, I gave him my one and only $20 bill I happened to have in my pocket. I just gave him my you know, last $100 out of my checking account. So, okay, I'm free. I'm free. No, no, this guy, if it costs more than this, I will repay when I return. Wow. Pretty amazing, huh? So here's Jesus' pop quiz for the day. In Luke 10, he then comes back and he said, said to the man that asked him who his neighbor was, tell me which one of the three men you saw 
the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor, the religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And you must go to do the same as him. So I know this is real quick this morning. But there's going to be five things up here that it's decision time. When it comes to managing our time and making time for relationships and doing relationships well, to do relationships well, we must disconnect from our time. Do you hear me? We must totally disconnect from our time. I'm not good at that. You know who's good at that? My wife's good at that. It's like, do you know what time it is? No. Because she has disconnected from the time to that which was important and significant and engaging for that moment. But I'm a, I'm a clock watcher. Are you a clock watcher? If you're a clock watcher, you'll have a harder time with this one. Because clock watchers need not apply. So the difficult decisions is choices. Make a choice. Who's going to really control your time? Secondly, take back ownership of your time. Don't act like somebody else is in control of it. They're not. You are. Thirdly, eliminate your time stealers. What's stealing your time? Fourthly, be interruptible. Be interruptible. Let's wear a big sign on our chest. I am interruptible. Wow. I wonder what that would look like. And the last one, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing, which is relationships and doing them well and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the greatest thing you can do to show how much you love the Lord is to love those he loves and demonstrate your love for who he loves. Because you might pretend you don't see that guy on the side of the road, but God sure sees him. And he's saying, he's yours. He's yours. This is yours. Hello. No, how about somebody? Else? No, he's yours. I need to call. No, he's yours. Do relationships well. Let's stand. <laughs> Close the service well. It just seems like this would be a great time to say, how great was Frank's Friendsgiving last night? And we just want to thank Elena and Eric coming up with that idea and others who helped. Everybody brought the best food. And I love that you brought other people. So we have a couple more events coming up in December. We have an all-church Christmas party on a Sunday night, and we also have a women's brunch. So I want you to start thinking. God's going to bring people they're probably already in your pathway. And just think about those events and taking the time to help them get here. And that would just be awesome. Lord, we 
We don't do relationships well without you. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you, Lord, to fill us with compassion for people. Lord, because we know they're important to you. We know they're urgent to you. We know they're significant to you. Lord, we, may we always base our time decisions based on what is the most significant to you. What is the most important to you? What is the main thing? Father, we, may we learn to say no. No to that which we should say no to. So we can say yes to what we're to say yes to. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes. Give us more wisdom. Give us more courage. Give us more boldness. Give us more diligence. May we be what you want us to be in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.